There you go. What's up, guys? Let's see. Ari? Come on down. Hello. Did they tell you we were going to do this? They didn't tell you we were going to do this. Everybody say hi to Ari. Hey, we're going we're gonna to bring you down here and embarrass you today, okay? All right, sorry. You can go sit down. <laughs> hey, uh, anytime somebody makes a commitment to God or to join the church, we want to make a big deal out of that. And so Ari studied with Danielle and Joyce this past week and made a commitment to join the church. And so we want to welcome you. So thank you for coming uh, and for being here. We are in a series about a world-changing church. We're going through the book of Acts. If you don't know, the book of Acts is the history of what happened the first few years that the church started. And what we see is God doing some amazing stuff through this little group of people that were trying to follow Jesus. And we see this little group of people turn into a big group of people over time. And all kinds of stuff happened in the first century. We see God do amazing miracles. We see thousands of people come to faith. And not only that, we see a lot of persecution. We see imprisonment. We see people getting killed. We see a lot of bad stuff happening in the midst of all this good stuff that's happening in the book of Acts. Uh, we got a passage uh, that I want to start out with today that kind of sets the tone for uh, what we're going to be talking about. And that is the idea that God, because he's all powerful and in control, is just that. He's in control. He can open doors. He can make a way. He can call us to do things and then help us along the way. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. Uh, Mike, go ahead and read uh, Revelation 3, verse 7. By the way, you got some notes in your bulletin. It's got most of the passages of Scripture we're going to look at on there. Also some places for you to write a couple things down. So if you want to pull those out, that's going to be helpful to you today. Mike, go ahead and read Revelation 3, 7, please. When he, God, opens the door, no one can close it. And when he closes it, no one can open it. Okay. When God opens a door, who's going to close that door? Only God, but nobody else, right? He's in control. When God closes a door, who's going to open that door? Only God, right? Nobody. If God says no, nobody's going to tell God yes. If God says yes, nobody's going to tell God no. Who's going to be in charge of God? Nobody, right? He's in charge. He's all-powerful. If he says it, then it goes, right? And, and that's just the way it is. When he opens a door, nobody's going to close it. We're going to see three examples in Acts 16 today of God opening doors that others aren't going to close. The first door that God is going to open that we're going to see is the door to the Macedonian providence. God is going to open the door in Acts 16 to the Macedonian providence. Why is that important to, to point out? Well, sometimes in the world, God chooses a region that he wants his people to focus on. And it just so happened that at this time in history, God, for whatever reason, because of the personalities or the people involved or whatever's happened in the world, he wanted them to go to this specific place at this specific time. God has the power to do that. He's got the power to open doors at specific places at specific times. Not only that, God opens the door in this story of Lydia's heart. We're going to see in Acts 16. This is an individual who 
Pryor had uh, not had an intimate relationship with God, but now she's going to go to a spot where she, she does. Why? Because God is working on her heart. He's working through her life. <coughs> He's working in her situation uh, because he wants to reach her. We're also going to see, lastly, God opening the door of a Philippian prison in Acts 16. Uh, so this is akin to kind of what we saw a few weeks ago when we studied about Peter and how he got busted out of jail by God. Uh, we're going to see something similar to that uh, in Acts 16 as well. And all that to say God can deliver from bad circumstances and impossible situations. This is just a great reminder of who's in control. And, and even when things get bad, we can lean into him. So today's lesson is just going to answer the question, how do I find open doors rather than dead ends? In my walk through life, how can I walk with God through open doors instead of just slamming into these dead ends that I find? There's some requirements that God has on us for finding open doors with his help. So first of all, God requires me, if I want to find open doors from God, number one, God requires me to be active. God requires me to be active. Paul and his companions in Acts 16 had traveled throughout the region of Fergie and Galatia. They had been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. Okay, let me, let me make a connection here. They had a plan. They had an outreach strategy. Paul and his friends, they had a plan. They had sat down and said, here's where we're going. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the places we're going to hit. And then when they made their plan and they started acting out that plan... Suddenly, they get word that their plan needs to change. Now, who in here likes changing your plans? Anybody in here planners? Anybody in here planners? Okay, I am. If I have like a plan for my day, and then something happens to upset my plan for the day, especially if it's last minute, that tends to aggravate me and bother me because I had my plan in, in place for my day. Now, and it could be stupid stuff sometimes where I shouldn't get upset, but I do because I have control issues, right? Uh, and I'm sure some of you do too. What I see here, though, uh, is, is they have a plan, and they're enacting it. And then uh, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Fergie to Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Do you notice it says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? What, what's this saying here? The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, is telling them not to go preach in a region. You ever, just stop and think about that, okay? What do you think about that? This is what God wanted at the time. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. It doesn't tell us why. Now, I can speculate. Why would God not want Paul and his companions to go to a place? Well, God may have known that that place was not receptive, that they would have gone there and it just would have been a waste of time. It could be worse than that. It could be not that they weren't going to be receptive. It's because they were going to be violent. And maybe they were going to kill Paul and his companions if they went there. And maybe that was going to stop the spread of the gospel if they went there and just got killed. Right? So whatever it was, we don't know. But my point is God does. And when God has this purpose in mind of reaching as many people as possible... All I can tell you is, for whatever reason, this wasn't the place they needed to go right then. So, so God, in his sovereignty, directs them elsewhere. It says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. 
So they passed by Messia and went down to Troas. Again, guys, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, they're on their way to preach somewhere. The Holy Spirit of God will not allow them to go to that place and preach. Now, this is a good thing that they're doing, guys. This is a good thing. They're going to share the gospel and preach. The Holy Spirit of God is stopping them from going to this region to preach. Okay, again, we don't know why. We are not told. What we do know is that God is good and that if he didn't want them to go at this time, there was a good reason for it. And we just have to trust him. Um, even though they're dead ends, <clears throat> notice here, they're, they're going to preach at this region. They encounter this dead end. What I want you to see and what I want to remember is that they didn't just stop. Okay? They didn't just give up. They didn't get mad because their plan didn't work out and, and get a bad attitude. They just moved on to the next thing. You know, they're like, we're going to serve God. We're going to move along. We're going to go do this thing. God says, no, 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 not over here. Well, they're going to go to, the, they're just going to move on to the next place. Now, there are times in my life where things have not gone according to my plan and what I have done instead of just moving along is I have gotten a stinky bad attitude and I've wanted to sit and pout because I didn't get to do my plan, right? And so instead of just moving on to the next thing, I want to sit and pout because I didn't get to do my plan. It didn't go my way or I didn't get to be the one who made the decision. Whatever it might have been, I had a bad attitude. We don't see that with them. It's really important in life when you have a plan and your plans don't work out, that you not just stop or give up because your plan didn't work out. You got to move on. Uh, you got to be active. Um, we have talked before in here about the parable of the bags of gold or the parable of the talents. This is a parable uh, that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 and a couple of other places. Um, a parable, if you don't know, is just a little story Jesus used to tell these all the time. He'd tell these little stories. And then what he would want us to do is find ourselves in the story. And there would be some kind of lesson that, that he would want us to learn from God about that. He tells this one story about this, this master who's going to go on a long journey. And this master has three servants. And he gives the first servant five bags of gold. And he says, take my bags of gold and go make more money with it. He gives the second servant two bags of gold and says, take my bags of gold and go make more money with it. He gives this third servant one bag of gold and he says, take my bag of money and go make more money with it. The first servant who had five bags takes the five bags and he goes and puts the money to work and he makes five more bags. He's got 10 bags. The one who had two bags takes the two bags of gold and he goes and puts the money to work and he gets two more bags. Now he's got four bags. The one who had one bag of gold goes and digs a hole and puts his bag of gold in it and then puts the dirt on top of it and he goes and doesn't do anything. The master comes back from his long journey and he goes to the first servant who had five bags of gold, now ten bags of gold, and says, what have you done with my gold? And he said, well, I went and put it to work, the five, I got five more. The master says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful with few things, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Here, take charge of these five cities. So he puts him in charge of all this stuff. Goes to the second servant, the one with two bags. 
says, what did you do with my gold? The servant with two bags said, well, I took your two bags of gold and I put your money to work and I made two more bags, so now I got four bags. The master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with the few things, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Take charge of these five cities. Then he goes to the third servant. says, what did you do with the gold that I gave you? The third servant says, well, I knew you were a hard man. Sowing where you haven't, or reaping where you haven't sown, and sowing where you haven't reaped. Um, Basically, he just throws it back in his face and says, I was afraid. I was afraid of you because you're not good. And so I went and hid it in the ground because I didn't want you to get mad at me. And what does God reply to that? The master replied to that in the parable. In verse 26, this is on your notes, it says, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, they will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is what Jesus said, welcome to church. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Um, Yeah, this is a tough one. Three guys, two guys put the, put, the, put the stuff to work, one buries it. Uh, guys, this is about you and me. The, the, the bags of gold are your gifts and talents in life. When God has created you, he has created you with inherent giftedness. There's stuff you can do I can't do, right? There are things that God has put in you that he put in you for a reason to be a blessing to others. You were created to be a blessing to others. You were created with that in mind. But guys, whenever we go through life and we refuse to engage, either we refuse to engage our talents, guys, we we don't participate in the life of the church or the spiritual community, we effectively bury our talents we are doing what that third servant has done. You were created by God with a gift so that you could bless other people, not that you could sit around and be lazy with it. You were blessed by God with a gift so that you could be a light in the world that shines on other people, not so you could hide it under a bowl. And that is, guys, over and over and over, the, the message from Jesus is you need to get out in the world and quit hiding behind walls. Get out. Bless people. Quit being closed off. You know, that's just the message over and over and over. But guys, every time we bury our talents or every time our, our plans get changed and we just decide to give up or quit moving or not being active anymore. Guys, there, there is... There is an expectation from the God of the universe that you be active and that you be engaged and that you be a part. You were not created to ride the bench. In baseball, if you didn't play the game, you sit in the dugout on the wooden bench. We call that riding the bench. If you get off the bench and get out into the field, you're playing the game, right? In the church, nobody rides the bench. 
Because seriously, guys, if you walk off and ride the bench, you are, you, you are volunteering yourself out of the community of God when, when you decide to bury your talent. Or if you say, I don't have anything to give. I've heard people use that excuse before. I'm not talented enough. I don't have any, nobody can learn anything from me. I can't bless anybody else. Bull crap. God created you and he tells you, he gets to define what you can and can't do, okay, not you. The designer, the one who created you, he gets to tell you what your design is, not you. So if God calls you to do something, guys, there's not a single thing God will ever call you to do that you can't do without his help. Nothing. He doesn't call you to do stuff and says, you need to do this, you know, or, or you're doing it wrong, and, and then not help you do it. Like, it's just not how he operates. He will call you to do stuff you can do with his help, but we've got to be active. You can't just be a lazy bomb and, and go through life and faith. Like, you've got to be active. Secondly, God requires me to be attentive. During the night in Acts 16.9, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us, right? So God is here sending Paul a message. And when God gives me a clear leading, I need to obey it. Uh, here, <coughs> Paul is having like a supernatural vision. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you can kind of get into trouble with that kind of thing. Because uh, I can have a supernatural vision from God. He can work that way. I also can have my own thoughts. Guys, I can have my own health stuff. I can have my own mental stuff. Just because I have a thought in my head doesn't necessarily mean it's from God, okay? Just because I have a dream, which, by the way, guys, when God communicates in dreams, that's a rare thing in the Bible, okay? Usually, God does not communicate that way supernaturally through dreams or, or audibly through supernaturally like speaking from God. He doesn't he didn't do that a lot. Like, like even in the Bible, there's gaps between stuff like that happening and it's usually because there's something really important that, that God wants to accomplish or there's a specific situation or there's something that's going on where God's going to intervene like that. The, the normal way that God talks to us though is guys, not through dreams and stuff, it's through his word. And so anytime... We have uh, something in our life where we feel like, you know, if, if you do have a dream someday and you feel like it's God talking to me, what do you want to do with that? You need to take that back to God's word and say, does this violate or complement what I see in God's word? You also need to be open to the fact that you could be wrong, okay? And you need to let the Bible and God's word take precedence over other authorities in your life when it comes to the spiritual leadings and voices. Um, so we need to be attentive. You gotta be attentive, next point, to his confirmed word. It says in Jude 1.3, fight against those who want to change it, the teachings, the right way to believe has been given to God's people once for all times. Uh, now this is Jude, basically the faith that we've been handed, guys, in terms of how to follow Jesus and all that stuff, it's never gonna change. If somebody comes along and, and says they have a new revelation from God where God's going to teach us to do something different, I don't think that's true. Uh, I really believe until Jesus comes back, I think we have Christianity nailed. I, I don't think there's going to be any big revelation. We are literally at the end of Act 2, and it's only a three-act play. The, the, the last stop is Jesus coming back. We're not going to have some new expression of faith, I don't believe. Now, if God chooses to reveal something, who, he's God. I don't think he's going to, though. I think this is it. 
what we have today. So if somebody comes and they says they got something new or some new way to connect, well, no, they don't, okay? I think they're false teachers if they're coming along uh, saying that. I base that on what we say right here or what we see right here in Jude. The faith that we have is the faith that we have. There's not going to be an addition. What we have is what we have. And if God is leading me, if God is God and real and he really is active in this and this really is his church, if he's leading me, uh, he, he's not going to contradict what's in his word. And so that's an important authority for me. In addition to that, I need to be attentive to his committed disciples. I need to be attentive to his committed disciples. Uh, if somebody comes along and says, I feel like God is talking to me. I feel like God is leading me. I want to take that leading or that prompting back to the word. Yes, I want to take it back to the word. But then I also want to take it maybe to a spiritual leader or two. If I feel like I've got a dream from God or a word from God or a leading from God, I want to go talk to somebody in my life that I know loves God, not just some dude that reads about Jesus on the internet and watches YouTube videos, you know, that I know, but like somebody that really loves God, that's like a spiritual leader that knows the scriptures, like that's the kind of person that I want to go and bounce off. Hey, do you feel like this is something God is, is telling me here? Do you feel like this is something God would lead me to? Do you feel like this is something God would have me teach? Whatever it might be. Take it to that person who knows God's word, who can give you some feedback uh, that can keep you grounded. Because a lot of times, guys, especially young people, guys, you guys can, can want something so bad. And, and a lot of times it's romantic relationships at the age of life that you're in. You can want a relationship so bad that you will make sacrifices uh, or you will want something so bad that you, okay, God wants me to have that when really it's just I want this, okay? You need objective outside voices of people in your life who love God and love you. They're going to tell you the truth and they're going to do it in love. You need that in your life. It is so easy to make bad decisions, Man, and when you make some of those big decisions, like when you're at the life stage of, you know, 18, 19, 20, those decisions you make a lot of times at that point in life are going to set the trajectory of your entire life. And so if you make wise decisions as young people, you are going to set yourself up for success in life and for fulfillment in life and for a healthy marriage and healthy family. But guys, you can make a couple of decisions that are just a little bit different, and you can go the completely opposite direction on a lot of stuff, where you don't understand the untold amount of heartache you will allow into your life if you don't listen. So much of this stuff, when it comes to commands and things like that, even when I was younger, like the stuff that I thought was just ruining my good time, man, those are protective measures that God has put in place to protect your heart, to protect your relationships, to protect your integrity, to protect your life. You need to listen, right? You gotta listen. We need to be attentive to his word. We need to be attentive to his disciples. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, do not quench the spirit. You notice how spirit is capitalized? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit of God. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. What's a prophecy? 
A lot of times when people hear the word prophecy, they think future telling. Uh, like if you're going to speak a prophecy, you're going to tell the future. Um, that's about, that, that is a small percentage of what prophecy is. In the Bible, uh, 10% of prophecy, and there's over, there's thousands, less than 10% of prophecy in the Bible tells the future. Did you guys know that? Less than 10%. of prophecy in the Bible is not foretelling. It's what we would refer to as forthtelling. It's not predicting the future. It's speaking God's word into the present. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy, if I give somebody a word of prophecy, I look at that person and I give them a word from God that I believe, like if Jesus were standing in front of them, here's what Jesus would say to you right now. And that's what a prophecy is. Uh, I'm guided in giving that word through what I know about God, what I know about his character, what I know from his word. Like there's, there's a lot that goes into giving somebody kind of an, uh, just an overview or understanding of God. Because that, that's what prophecy is. So whenever a friend of yours who loves Jesus, loves Jesus and loves you, comes and they know your situation, they know what you're going through. You just lost your job, or you just got a diagnosis, or you just had a relationship issue, or whatever it might be. And they come and they know you, and they know God, and they know the scriptures, and they speak a word to you based on what they know about your situation. That is a prophetic word that they're speaking to you. They say, hey, you've been struggling with this, or you, you confess a sin. You confess a sin. You know, for instance, for men, a lot of times it's porn. A lot of, a lot of guys, well, women struggle with it too, right? But a lot of times for men, it's porn. So you confess a sin. And your brother who knows you, and they know God, and they know the scriptures, says, hey, you know what? Let me help you with that. Get this software, and, and let's look at this scripture. Like, here's what scripture says about dealing with temptation. Here's what scripture says about this. Here's, here's some straight. All of that is a prophetic word. That's what a prophetic word is. When they're discipling you in the moment and giving you instructions in the moment, that's what prophecy is. Now, what do we do whenever we have a struggle sometimes and somebody wants to come and give us a word? Well, depending on our attitude or the relationship, guys, sometimes we can get really bent out of shape over that, especially grown men. When you start talking to grown men who act like children about how they're acting like children, see how they react. You want to know how most of them react? Like children. Do you want to know what that is, though, whenever you take, uh, uh, when you give a word of God to somebody or speak a word of prophecy and they throw it back in your face? We call that treating prophecies with contempt. That's treating that word from God with contempt. You're treating that brother who's way further down the road than you are spiritually like he doesn't know how to get outside of a cardboard box. Right? You can do that to people. That's treating prophecies with contempt. You want to know what the number one characteristic of a fool is in the Bible? They don't want to listen. The number one characteristic of a fool in the Bible is they won't accept correction. They get all bent out of shape whenever somebody comes and gives them some pushback or some feedback. And they don't listen. They treat prophecies with contempt. 
That's the number one characteristic of a fool. It's like that player on the team, if you've ever coached, if you have an uncoachable player, if you've got a kid that could be the next Nolan Ryan, he could be the next major, like, Cy Young award winner, but he, but he won't take correction. Like, you can't, can't tell him he's not fielding the grounder right. You can't tell him he's not throwing right. You can't tweak his technique on anything because he knows it all. The number one characteristic of a fool. They don't want to listen. They don't want to take correction. This right here says, don't quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Quench the spirit of God when you treat prophecies with contempt. Somebody brings you a word, says uh, regarding prophecies, test them all in verse 21. Hold on to what's good. Somebody brings you a word, from God, can somebody make a mistake? Huh? Of course they can. Of course they can. I had a guy, uh, uh, and I've talked about it before, um, I had a guy uh, challenge me one time because I didn't fold my clothes when I stayed at his house. And, and I'm not joking, he was dead serious, and this guy's brilliant, like he's a doctor, he's got a PhD, uh, but he wanted to sit me down and talk with me about not folding my clothes. And the scripture that he cited was when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he did was folded his clothes. And I'm not even joking. I had to sit and be nice to this guy uh, while, while he was giving me this word of prophecy, right? Now, that was insane. Like, look, it's still, it's funny. Like, I tell it as a joke now, um, but it's a funny story. But was that a prophetic word that that guy was giving me? No, okay, no. Uh, I didn't just treat it with contempt, though, immediately, whenever he gave it to me. I did tell him he was very rude. Um, and he, <laughs> that didn't go over very well. Um, but anyway, it, it, you want to take this back to the word. I, I say that that wasn't a prophetic word because I took what he said back to the word and I said, okay, what you are saying here does not line up. This does not jive at all with the point of these passages at all. This is not about folding clothes. Come on. Um, but, I did, but you had to take it back. Take it back to the word of God. Uh, test them all. That's what that means. Test them all. Take it back to God's word. Does this line up with God's word? And then notice what it says. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is good. What does that mean? That means there could be something they said that was what? Could be there's something that was good, right? What else could it mean? Could mean that there's something they said that was not good. Okay? If I'm dealing with a human being, is a human being infallible? Can a human being make mistakes? Okay, what about spiritual leaders? Can a spiritual leader make a mistake? Okay? You guys have got to give grace. You've got to understand, uh, even when somebody is coming and trying to do a good thing, and they're giving you a word from God, you can't treat that with contempt. But you also need to understand this is a fallible human being. So I need to take what they're telling me back to God's word, 
and then I need to test it. And if what they're saying to me lines up with God's word, I need to listen to that as a word from God. But if what they're saying does not line up with what God's word says, then I need, I need to just dismiss that. Hold on to what's good. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Hold on to what's good. Reject every kind of evil. See, guys, God's design from the beginning was always for you to have spiritual leaders in your life. That was why he set up the, the Levite system, the Levitical system, the priesthood. The whole point of the priesthood was uh, to give those guys spiritual leaders. He had a whole clan. That's, that's their whole job was just to provide spiritual leadership. God supernaturally, in his wisdom, uh, made that part of his plan. And that was from the beginning, from you know, all the way to the old, old covenant all the way through now. He still has uh, spiritual leadership as part of his plan. Why? Because he needs, we need people in our lives that we can bounce things off of. We need people in our lives that, that can give us words from the Lord, that can give us prophecies. We need to not treat those with contempt. Thirdly, I need to be attentive to his clear promptings. I need to be attentive to his clear promptings. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, Dearly loved friends, don't always believe everything you hear. Just because someone says it's a message from God, test it first to see if it really is, for there's many false teachers around. <clears throat> okay, again, um, if you feel like you're being prompted by God, you need to take that back to the Word. If you feel like you're being led a certain way by God, you need to take that back to the Word. You need to take everything back to the Word, guys. A lot of times... Um, we can overly spiritualize everything. Uh, some people tend to, tend to see the demonic or angelic, you know, like in everything. It, we gotta be, um, we've got to be wise. I'm trying to be kind. I think gullibility is a sin. Okay, uh, whenever people think that you are gullible, it completely ruins your credibility where they're going to listen to you about anything. And gullible just means you believe everything, right? And that's one of, uh, sometimes people of faith, that's one of the criticisms that uh, people outside the faith that are maybe investigating can have a lot of times is it doesn't make sense or it's unreasonable uh, or, you know, the person that is sharing their faith also believes conspiracy A, B, C, and D uh, that are kind of crazy. We've just got to take everything back to the Word. Um, we don't want to over-spiritualize, guys, and often the phrase God is calling me to this, that, or the other is it's amazing how people think God is calling them to whatever it is they're most comfortable with at the time. And one of the crazy things that I hear thrown around a lot is when people are like making decisions. You ever use the phrase, well, I, I just don't have a sense of peace with that. You ever use that phrase whenever you're praying, does God want me to do this or that? Well, I just don't feel a sense of peace with this one over here, so that must mean God's not calling me to do that. Man, that is the biggest crock. Seriously, how many, 
Read the Bible, guys. How many times has God called people to do stuff they don't want to do? Seriously. And when they say, I don't want to, he's just like, oh, okay. We'll come up with another plan. No, that's not how he works. He's like, get over it. So, go get swallowed by a fish for a few days. See what you think then. Like, that's what God does. He, he doesn't put up with this mess. But there's many false teachers around. There's, there's all this untruth out there. Uh, one of the things I can tell you with clarity is God is not just going to call you to stuff you're comfortable with. I can almost assure you if God calls you to it, you're probably not even going to like it at first. I'm serious, guys. Spiritual growth is hard. When you get in and start dealing with your character, there's tears. There's heartache and pain. You think it's easy? Man, nothing worth doing is easy. It's not easy. And the stuff God's going to call you to is not easy. There's going to be stuff that's hard. But you can't just, you've got to get over it. God doesn't call you to do stuff that's hard that you can't do without his help. He's not going to call you to do anything you can't do without his help. You can do it, but you're going to need help. Thirdly, God requires me to be accommodating. God requires me to be accommodating. Accommodating to the will of God. Because planting churches and building the church is about God's dream. In Acts 16, verse 10, it says, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. Okay, I just point this out because Paul, right before this, was headed in the opposite direction. He had planned out, mapped out, had all this stuff scheduled, and then now his plans are completely changed. He is literally going in the opposite way. How many of you guys in here like having your plans changed? Whenever somebody comes along and you have in your mind what you're going to do at that time, in that moment, with that resource or whatever, and then somebody comes and just changes your plans last minute, didn't even communicate to you any of this stuff, any of you in here good at rolling with the punches? Now, some of you I know are because you're members of the crossings and you have had to learn the game. Like, we roll with the punches around here and we try to be flexible and, and you know, we, we do some of that on purpose just to teach people uh, because of stuff like this. There's going to be stuff that comes up where you have got to learn to be flexible. You have got to learn to be accommodating. Often... People will use the excuse, like we said, that because something is hard, God must not be with them. And that is false. That is absolutely false. If it's super easy, God is with us. And if it's super hard, God's not with us. You ever thought that? That's bull. God does not move the door. He moves the disciple. And what I mean by that is... Even in the book of Acts, guys, there was all this amazing, amazing stuff happening in the book of Acts. But what you see over and over, even though there's this amazing stuff happening, is there's really bad stuff that's happening at the same exact time. Guys, at this point in the story, they have already had people murdered in the church because they were Christians. James got his head cut off in an arena 
right? Stephen's dead. Others are in prison. Paul has been in and out of prison. Paul has already been beaten. They drug him out of Lystra and stoned him. Like they, they beat him with rocks so they thought he was dead. And then he got up and went back in the city. And right here, the story we're reading in Acts 16, this is right up the street from where they tried to kill him a few weeks prior to this. And he's still out there teaching. Okay? Guys, if we saw Paul at this point in the story, he'd look funny because he'd have scars all over him. If he took his shirt off and you looked at his back, have you guys ever seen the uh, photo from the 1800s of the, it's, I think, the only slave photo that we have that has the, the back of a guy who was beaten with the bullwhip, and it is all this scar tissue. It looks horrible. And that's a dude who was beaten, I think, once or twice with the bullwhip as a slave. He is completely disfigured. Paul's back would have looked like that because he had been beaten with rods. He had been flogged. He, was, he would have been probably disabled as an old man because of the beatings that he took while he was going around and teaching people about Jesus. He is literally in a town that, in this, that we're reading where people had drug him out and beaten him with rocks. And after he woke up, he got up, and it says he went back into the city. You want to know what we don't see? Guys, if, 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 they came, if, if a mob came in here this morning to Collinsville and grabbed me and drug me out in the parking lot and beat me till they thought I was dead and then left... I might, when I woke up from my coma, get up and say, well, I think God closed that door. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be with a temptation? Oh, God's, God's leading me back to Missouri. He beat me to death. That's not what Paul did. You guys realize God called them to these places where these things happened to them. You guys know where Paul's going to go? Now he's told, he's told by God, he's eventually going to wind up in Rome. The rest of the book of Acts is Paul's journey to Rome. You know what's going to happen to him in Rome? They're going to take him in an arena, and they're going to tie him to a stump, and they're going to chop his head off in front of a crowd of people that's cheering that's what's going to happen to Paul. But you don't hear Paul saying, God must have closed that door. God must be calling me elsewhere. Right? You don't see him saying that. You see him going into hard places and doing hard things and dealing with hard situations. But he's not just saying because it's hard, that means God's not with us. That means, that means this must be a closed door. Man, what a lazy bum to think like that. And that's what I do. That's how I think. I'm a lazy bum. But then I read stories like this and I'm reminded, wow, I need to get my head right. I need to change my thinking. I need to remember who God is. Remember that God doesn't always call you to do the easy thing. In 1 Corinthians 19 or 16, 9, 
This is interesting here. Look at how this uh, pairs up. Paul says, not only has God opened a significant door here for me to serve. What did God do? He opened a significant door for me to serve. He goes on and says, there's a lot of opposition against me. Do you notice the juxtaposition there? God opened this door for me to serve, but there's a lot of opposition against me. Do you notice that? Just because there's opposition doesn't mean that God's not there. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that God's not present. Just because you encounter obstacles doesn't mean that God is leading you away. Don't take it that way. Not everything worth doing is easy. And remember the example that we have to follow, guys. This isn't on your notes, but we're going to take communion. And I wanted to read Philippians 2 uh, because this uh, kind of lines up with thought here. So Philippians 2 verse 5 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think equality with God he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human king when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to, to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the, highest place of, uh, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, we take communion weekly because uh, Jesus gave his life to pay for our sins. He says if we will follow him, that death he died on the cross, he's going to apply to our sins. And it's just going to be like we died instead of him. We got the punishment instead of him, but he's, he's just going to take it for us. He says, if you will follow him, if you'll follow him, he's going to give you all that forgiveness. He's going to give you all that life. He's going to give you all that light. He's going to give you all that righteousness. He's going to teach you to be the person that you were meant to be, and he's going to help you learn to do the things that you were meant to do on earth, and it starts with your humble acknowledgement that He's in charge and that you're not and that you want to follow him. That's King Jesus, man. It's a good life with him. He makes a way and he wants us to know that every single one of us are loved by him. Every single one of us are cared for by him. Every single one of us are seen by him. Every single one of us are known by him. And he wants every single one of us to walk with him because that's how you can have the very best life you can have. Let me pray, and then we're going to take communion. The juice represents his blood that was spilled on the cross. The cracker represents his body that was broken on the cross. When we take those things every week, we remember we serve a God who loves us enough to let his body be broken and his blood be spilled so that we could have a chance. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us together today and for your forgiveness in Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Lastly, number four, God requires me to be authentic. God requires me to be authentic. Uh, I've got to understand if, you know, we're talking about planting churches, uh, some here too. We've got uh, our friends across the river, 
by the end of the year, we will have a team formed uh, for whatever location we're going to send to next. We're going to have a few people that are researching spots. We're looking at uh, city to send the team right now. So within the next couple of years, we will have a group of friends that are going out and planting another church. And then uh, in another few years, we will be forming a team here in Collinsville uh, that we will be sending out at some point when we're ready to do that. And so that's kind of our vision for the future. But I've got to understand, if I want to go out on a church plan or if I want to go out and do something for God, I'm not going to be any different in another place than the person that I am right now. So if I have this dream of, of going out and blessing people on a church plant someday or going out and starting a ministry or whatever someday, I need to understand that who I am now is, is who I'm going to be in the future unless I make some changes. Or I'm not going to be any different just because I'm in a different place. I must remember that I'm called to be authentic in every location, whether I'm here or another place. I'm called to be authentic in every location. It says in Acts 16, uh, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, Paul and his companions are going out to find a place of prayer. But what's going to happen? It says, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Did they go there to speak to the women who had gathered there? No, they went there to pray. But what, they, what happened is they encountered people, they encountered an opportunity while they were going to do something else that they're going to take advantage of. They're going to take advantage of this opportunity down by the river, right? Because they're taking advantage of this in every location. Secondly, I'm called to be authentic with every person. In verse 14, it says, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord uh, opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If any of you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. So here we see they go to a location, the river, where they're going to pray. That was their plan, but God had other plans. They go there to pray. God says there's going to be people there that, that I want you to connect with. They're purposeful when they go down to the river. They go down there to pray, but they're not just going to ignore the people around them. Why? Because Jesus calls them to love people. And so there's some people down there, Paul and his companions, strike up a conversation, make friends with them. They find out through interaction that this person down there wants a connection with God, this God-fearer named Lydia. Here's a person whose heart God had been working on already. Here's a person whose heart... God had been working on already. This is the type of person that Paul prayed to connect with. Paul prayed for the doors of the gospel to be open with the people that he interacted with. We know that because we've seen his prayer request, right? Here's a person that God connects Paul to. I believe it's an, ex it's an answer to his prayer. And it's, it's uh, in response to Paul's values. Her heart is, uh, is prepared here, and so she ends up giving her life to God. But, but what if they had ignored her? What if they had just stuck to their plan? We, we're just here to pray today, right? We're just here to pray. We don't want to interact with these people. Like, that's not, that, that God's plan was different. And, and so you see this amazing thing happen. Lastly, I'm called to be authentic in every situation. 
I'm, call, I'm called to be authentic in every situation. I'm called to be authentic in lo, with every location, every person, and every situation. Right after this, guys, Paul and Silas get themselves into trouble. They get sideways with some guys in the city. The guys in the city complain to the authorities. The authorities throw these guys in prison. They have them beaten. Paul and Silas, in the same chapter where all this good stuff's happening now, are going to find themselves in prison. Guess what they do while they're in prison? When I'm in prison, I don't sing praise to God. That's what they did, right? Uh, they, their attitude was such, they're in prison and they're singing praises to God. They're, they're praising Jesus. Everybody around them is listening to these crazy weirdos praising Jesus that got arrested for telling people about Jesus. And now they won't stop talking about Jesus and they're singing about Jesus. Like, what do we do with these guys? Then all of a sudden, while they're singing praises in the jail, God sends a big earthquake, knocks the walls down, right? If you were a jailer, a Roman jailer, and your prisoners got away, guess what happened to you? You got killed. And so the jailer comes out, the one who was in charge of keeping Paul and Silas in the jail, and he sees that all the walls have fallen down on the jail, and guess who was going to pay for it? He was. So he pulls out his sword. Because the Romans were bad, dude. Like, if they killed you as a soldier, sometimes it wasn't a pretty death. They had some weird ways of killing people that they were especially mad about. Uh, he gets ready to kill himself. He pulls his sword out. And he, he's going he's gonna to stab himself. Paul's like, hey, stop, 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 stop. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. Let's tell you about Jesus. And then Paul tells this guy about Jesus who's about to kill himself. And guess what the guy does? He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul baptizes him. And then he baptizes the entire dude's family. Because the dude's family wanted to follow Jesus too. Right? I don't sing praises to God when I'm in prison. <laughs> but maybe I should start. Right? Because here we see this really bad situation, and instead of these guys freaking out because they're in a really bad situation, they decide they're going to let God be in control, they're going to sing praise to God, and then you have this crazy supernatural action of God. Guys, whenever life, whenever life looks the bleakest, it doesn't mean God is not present. Whenever life looks the bleakest, it doesn't mean all the doors are closed from God. It could just mean God is being creative in how he's going to open that next door. Do you think Paul and Silas, when they got thrown in that prison, thought they were about to be baptizing their guard and his whole family? They didn't see that coming. And guys, that's just how God works. A lot of times, we don't see it coming. When it comes to his blessing, when it comes to his plan, when it comes to how things are going to work out, there can be situations where we just feel hopeless, where we feel like there's not a way out, where we feel like God can't make a way here. He can't open a door here, but then he does. And so our job is to trust him. Our job is to lean into him. Our job is to be faithful our job is to be humble, and our job is to let God be God.
Acts 16, 25. Picture this, it's midnight. In the darkness of their cell, Paul and Silas, after surviving the severe beating, aren't moaning and groaning. They're praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners in the adjoining cells are wide awake, listening to them pray and sing. And Right after this, we see God do this amazing thing. This amazing thing where he shows up and it's apparent to everybody that was there that this was a God thing. Guys, I just, I want to share this and, and I want us to be encouraged today. I want a pulpit. I don't, I don't want this thing. Where's our carpenters? We need a pulpit. Um, dramatic clothes, okay. We need to follow Jesus, so do that. Uh, the end. No, seriously, you've got a communication card in your bulletin. If you can pull that out, that's got a place for you to respond. Uh, anytime we open the Word of God, guys, we want to we make sure that we're not just looking at this stuff and then just like leaving and not doing anything with it. Because what happens is you can get used to that. You can get used to coming and looking at God's Word and thinking, oh, yeah, and then not really doing anything with it. And if you get used to that, you're getting used to hardening your heart to God's word. And man, uh, the recipe for a really, really good life is a soft heart when it comes to God. If, if you can be a person that when you see God is calling you to do something, you don't delay, you don't wait for weeks, you don't have to think about it forever, you just try to obey. If you can just try to obey God and practically apply this stuff, it's gonna make a difference in your life. That's why we say, take out your communication card. And, and, you know, even for our members, people that have been walking with Jesus for a while, there's stuff that was said today that you need to apply to your life. And so I want to encourage you to be introspective and not just to think this is for everybody else. No, this is for you and this is for me, okay? So let's take this and apply it. Go ahead and pull that card out. And if there's anything we can do here at the church uh, to help you, please let us know. That's got uh, space there for you to fill out your information. Also space to ask uh, for prayers or anything you might need. Um, just go ahead and fill that out. We're going to sing a song here in a minute. And that'll give you time to fill that all the way out. And then we'll sing one more song after that and pass some baskets. And you can just drop your card in that basket. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then uh, we will sing that next song and close out today, okay? God, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for this group of people here. Thank you for uh, all the lovely folks, and, and God, thank you for being good and for loving us. Uh, I pray for our events that are coming up. We've got uh, Spooktacular, Halloween Spectacular coming up, and a bunch of other stuff. So I just pray we can be faithful and inviting. Uh, God, I pray for all those that are studying the Bible right now. Uh, there are a lot of people that are investigating faith. And so I just pray you help guide them on their journey. For those of us that are struggling, God, just help us uh, to get the help that we need and to be a blessing to others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>